everybody, this is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would probably benefit from a tagline. It is a goddamn winter wonderland as I look out my window. Here in Portland, Oregon, we just got like a foot and a half of snow overnight, which is beautiful, and I'm really, really enjoying it right now. So I'm trying to savor this time before the frustration sets in, because Portland in a snowstorm is adorable for a little while, but it's like watching a little kid try to do some kind of work, where at first it's like, oh, this is really sweet, and then it's like, okay, you don't have the tools or training to deal with this. I need to get on with my day. Stop trying to work that cash register. Now, in this scenario, a toddler is trying to work a cash register, which As I'm saying it, I realize may not be the universal experience that I was going for where, come on, I mean, we've all dealt with having a toddler try to operate a cash register while we're trying to go about our day. I don't think I've ever dealt with that. Thank God for child labor laws. Anyway, (laughs) uh, without any further ado, let's ado this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Noah Banner Bain. Whether you're a mister, missus, or miss, everyone can enjoy this synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Noah. I appreciate that. Concise, to the point, had a rhyme, well played. Defenders, number four. February, 1973. The New Defender. Written by Steve Englehart, drotted by Sal Buscema, with inks by Frank McLaughlin. Defenders Roll Call. Doctor Strange, The Incredible Hulk. Namor the Submariner, with the Black Knight, and introducing Valkyrie. Previously in the Defenders. In an attempt to get the Silver Surfer back to his home planet, the Defenders journeyed to a strange dimension. Well, there, the non-team of stalwart heroes ran afoul of an old enemy, the monocleless monster known as the Nameless One. They soon found that the previously two-headed Nameless One had added a third head to his weird pile of anatomy, that of his new girlfriend, Barbara Norris. Babs was a former cult member who had been stranded in the Nameless One's dimension after turning on the, at the time, two-headed tyrant to assist Doctor Strange and the Hulk. Apparently, after a while, Barbara started Stockholming on the Nameless One, who, from here on, I'm just going to call Glenn, and agreed to both physically and psychically merge with Glenn, becoming a creepy three-headed monster. Gross. The defenders battled the Glenn-Barbara hybrid and managed to defeat them. Hooray! Steve Strange felt bad about stranding Babs with her new boyfriend, so before skedaddling back to their dimension, he decided to magically sever her bond with Glenn and jam Barbara back into her own body. Bad move, Steve! Next time, ask permission for that kind of shit, because the trauma of unexpectedly breaking a strong mental bond was too much for Babs' mind, which snapped and left her continuously yelling a long string of capital A's. When the Defenders and the vowel vocalizing Barbara returned to their home dimension, rather than arriving near the Silver Surfer's home planet as had been their plan, they found themselves back on Earth in a meadow outside a medieval castle. Dismayed to be once again stuck on a stupid jerkwater planet, the Silver Surfer cry-yelled at Steve and flew away. Steve and Strange suffered an uncharacteristic crisis of confidence. Gadzooks! Will Doctor Strange's unmitigated failure as both a sorcerer and a brain surgeon make him any less arrogant? Will Barbara learn any new vowels, or is it just capital A's from here on out? And did I actually spell medieval correctly on the first try? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, actually, for the better part of this issue, a little bit. Until the end. Um, Barbara, not so much, but... Barbara's body is going to be spouting all kinds of words. It's complicated. And yes, yes, I did. I credit the hundreds of hours and quarters I spent playing Medieval Madness pinball machines at the bars I've worked in. It's a wonderful game. Tina Fey does the voice of one of the princesses. Highly recommend. The Defenders are hanging out outside that weird castle. The Hulk decides that he has had enough of Steve's bullshit. Hooray! He blames Strange for fucking up Barbara's brain and is tired of Steve being disrespectful and generally an arrogant prick to him. Seeking to protect her from Strange's further meddling, the Jade Giant picks up an incoherent Barbara and jumps into the castle. Strange and Namor follow Hulk into the castle, ostensibly worried that the Emerald Avenger might inadvertently injure the incoherent ingenue. Huh? Yeah, good call, guys. Maybe he'll use his mystic powers to non-consensually sever a strong mental bond she has with an extra-dimensional boyfriend. Fucking Steve. The duo of Defenders are surprised to find that the castle appears to be abandoned. Not only that, but there's no sign of the Hulk or Barbara either. Curiouser and curiouser. In the course of searching the castle, the two find a mysterious smoking brazier in the corner of the dungeon. 
So, naturally, they approach it to investigate. Like a couple of goddamn idiots. Look, I'm no Sorcerer Supreme, but even I know that if you see a mysterious smoking brazier in an abandoned castle, some eldritch shit is about to go down. Sure enough, as soon as Steve and Namor approach the device, they are engulfed in magical flames. When the flames recede, the two find that they have been transported to a magical realm where they are surrounded by a group of hostile knights led by Scourge the Executioner. Okay, Scourge is a Thor villain who is usually teamed up with Amora the Enchantress. He's an Asgardian who has a magic axe, a mustache, and a bad attitude. He looks kind of like Road Warrior Hawk from the Legion of Dune. But what's he doing in that castle? Well, right now he's kicking Doctor Strange and Namor's asses. Some generic-looking wizard named Fragon shows up and zaps Strange with some kind of whammy that takes away his powers. Then the Executioner, who is apparently more powerful than ever in this mystical wherever the hell they are, and his medieval knight buddies, who showed up as well, beat the crap out of the two heroes and throw them in the dungeon, where they meet up with Bruce Banner and a still mind-blown Barbara. Bruce explains that after they jumped into the castle, the mystical brazier, I am saying the word brazier a lot, did its trick on them. Did its trick on them, too. Only the flames de-hulkified him before he got tossed in the clink. Fair enough. But who are those people in the cell next to them? Why, it's the aforementioned erstwhile partner of the Executioner, Amora the Enchantress, and the former Avenger, the Black Knight. What are they doing here? Well, it's complicated. And kind of stupid. Here goes. A while ago, after a tussle with the Avengers, Odin banished Amora and Scourge to this mystical realm which is ruled by the former Asgardian sorceress Queen Cassiolina. Soon after they arrived, Scourge ditched Amora for Cassiolina. The Enchantress escaped and tried to fuck with the Avengers again, but they beat her again, and this time handed her over to Zeus for some reason, maybe as part of some kind of mythological pantheon exchange program. She escaped again and sought out the Black Knight, who had previously been one of the Avengers who had helped defeat her. The Black Knight is a British dude named Dane Whitman, whose dad was a villain. He has a magic sword and a flying horse, and he wears a suit of armor. Turns out this castle is his familial home, Garrett Castle. Anyway, Amora showed up at his house and asked if he wanted to make out. Even though he knew that if they smooch, she would enslave his mind and soul, and that she's totally a supervillain, he decided to make out with her anyway. So, now he's in her thrall. Damn it, Dane. Having ensorcelled the Black Knight, Amora used her powers to turn the brazier into a gateway to this mystical wherever the fuck they are. I guess since it's magical and old-timey, they're calling it a realm instead of a dimension. Fair enough. Anyway, Amora and Dane jumped on his magical flying horse and used the brazier to travel to this mystic realm. When they got here, the executioner and his new girlfriend, Cassiolina, beat them up, threw them in jail, which brings us to the present. The Enchantress is stoked to get some new neighbors and is especially stoked to see Barbara. Wait, she is? Why? Because she is going to cast a spell on Barbara that will give her superpowers. The defenders object on the grounds that Barbara is not currently mentally competent to consent to such transformation. Okay, you're a little bit late to the recognizing the importance of consent party, but nice to see you're making progress. Oh, what's that, so you're going to decide for her? Never mind. Regardless of the defender's opinion on the matter, the Enchantress casts her spell and Barbara Norris is transformed into... The Valkyrie! And who is the Valkyrie? (sighs) Okay, so... The Valkyrie is basically a super strong, super awesome, badass Asgardian feminist. When she first showed up in the Avengers, she was pretty much a disguise that Amora assumed to trick the female Avengers into turning on their male counterparts, but her actual identity is a lot more complicated. She was originally the leader of the Asgardian Valkyrior named Brunhilda, whose job it was to choose which valiant warriors who died in battle got to go to Valhalla. But when Odin decided that the Asgardians couldn't go to Midgard anymore, she was bored and pissed and started wandering around Asgard looking for kicks. She teamed up with Amora for a while and went on some adventures with her, but then she found out what a jerkwad the Enchantress was and told her to fuck off. So Amora stole her soul, trapped it in some kind of magic crystal or something, and now she can shove Brunhilde's soul, personality, and powers into any human host. Which is what she just did to Barbara Norris. Which is why Barbara Norris is now the Valkyrie, a super strong, super awesome, badass Asgardian feminist. Whew. Valkyrie uses her giant spear to bust open the prison doors and liberate her fellow prisoners. Once they are free, Banner hulks up and the Black Knight summons Aragorn, his flying horse. They team up with the rest of the defenders and beat the crud out of the Executioner's medieval buddies. Hooray! Doctor Strange and Amora use their magic to zap Fragon the Wizard. Hooray! The Executioner is extra strong in this dement... er... realm, and is able to hold off the Black Knight, the Hulk, and Namor. 
pretty impressive. Surely that's the most people at one time the executioner will ever have to fight. As a little joke for my uh, Thor aficionados out there. It's pretty impressive. Then the Valkyrie steps in and punches the shit out of the executioner. Hooray! Queen Cassiolina is about to retaliate, taking advantage of the fact that Val has vowed never to hurt a fellow woman. Fortunately, the Enchantress is all about hurting her fellow women, and zaps the shit out of Cassie, apparently killing her. Then she celebrates her victory by asking the Executioner if he wants to get back together. He's like, sure. Good for them. But not so good for old Dane Whitman, who is still magically infatuated with Amora. He challenges Scourge to a duel. Amora intervenes and gives Dane a big ol' smooch, which turns the anachronistic former Avenger into stone. Damn, that's some cold-ass shit. I guess Amora is short for amoral. Okay, I think that one actually works better written down than said out loud, but still. Burn! Did I just have a stroke? Because I smell toast, Amora! Amora and Scourge call the Defenders fools and then teleport away. You can't see the Executioner's hands in that panel, but I almost guarantee he's flipping double birds at the heroes as they vamoose. Steve tries to magic Dane out of his statue-like state, but no dice. Val figures that since a smooch got him all statued up, maybe a smooch will unstatue him. Which is sweet of her, but also kind of silly. And that doesn't work either. Which is a bummer, because I was working on a comic book equivalent of Occam's Razor, where the silliest, least plausible solution to any situation is actually the most likely to work. I was going to call it Occam's Large Blunt Object. Anyway, Steve informs the rest of the gang that now that he knows that they're in a mystic realm, getting them home is no problem. He's like, oh, realms? I know how to do those. So, Namor carries Statue Dane, Val rides the petrified knight's magic flying horse, and the defenders head back to Earth. When they get home, Steve puts the Dane statue in the den of his Sanctum Sanctorum, where, I gotta be honest, it totally goes with the decor. Val informs the boys that 1. she's going to keep Aragorn for the time being, and that B. she's joining the Defenders. Hooray! Then Namor and Steve shit all over everything by telling her that A. the Defenders isn't really a team, and that 2. she can't join. Boo! You know what? Fuck you guys. If this isn't a team, then you can't keep her off the team. Valkyrie is on the Defenders. Hooray! And it's a good thing she is, because as the last panel of the issue shows us, that Doomsday device from back in Marvel feature number one is still slowly ticking down. And when it reaches zero, we are all doomed. Dun dun dun! Ooh, maybe I should call it Haney's Razor. Oh, or Occam's ring carved to look like his own head. Yeah, now that's a theory we can get behind. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it? Wait a minute. You're not Corey. But I'm from France! Oh, you make a good point. Maybe you are Corey. You do a very good French accent, just like Corey. <laughs> Let's run through some tests and see if you are Corey. Okay. Are you related to me by marriage? Yes. Do you have a bachelor's degree in anthropology from a Northwest University? It's a college, and yes. Okay. Did you have an unconventional upbringing in a quasi-communal living area? Yes. Okay, shit, I guess you're Corey. <laughs> this makes me feel really weird about our relationship. <laughs> okay. This is not actually Corey. <laughs> I am delighted to introduce you to uh, my wife, Lisa. Hi. <laughs> Lisa will be filling in for Corey today because Corey is a little baby who doesn't want to drive in a foot and a half of snow. <laughs> it's a lot of snow. It is a lot of snow and the roads here are terrible. So I'm actually really glad that you get to fill in for this issue because I've been wanting to have you as a guest for a while. And because I think this particular issue, it is really good to get a female perspective on. Yeah, shit's kind of jacked. <laughs> shit's pretty jacked. So, overall, what'd you think? Uh, I thought it was really cool. It was really interesting to, like, I'm always fascinated by, like, trying to contextualize these things at the time that they were written. Mm -hmm. So, like, seeing what some white men thought about... <laughs> being a lady <laughs> and how evil some women were and all sorts of stuff is kind of kind of cool it is overall the story itself was mostly gibberish i felt like 
It wasn't the strongest narrative. <laughs> it was really confusing. I felt like the idea behind it was he had an end point where he's like, okay, at the end of this issue, I want the Valkyrie to join the Defenders and I want her to have a flying horse. How do I do that? I know. I'll use some context from old backstories, but then I'll throw in new stuff and hide behind the continuity to an extent. And I feel like almost also almost all of the stories that he referenced or referenced half of were written by his editor, Roy Thomas, which is kind of interesting, which I don't know if it was purposeful that he was like kind of like, oh, hey, uh, I'm going to reference all of these things that my boss wrote. It's worth pointing out that Steve Engelhardt is a fairly new writer at this point. I think he'd been writing for maybe a year or so and was starting to get more and more high-profile titles. But there was a lot going on where it was just like, okay, if I use half of this continuity, then people who don't understand what I'm saying will just assume that the rest of it will make sense if they had read these things. And it, I had to do a lot of research to figure out what was going on. Well, maybe he was just drunk and Roy wrote the issue. Do you think about that? I did think about that, and I don't <laughs> think that's the case. <laughs> what was it, drugs? <laughs> okay, they're likely uh, both from just the issue and from what I've read about what was happening at Marvel at that time. Yeah, okay, probably drugs played some role. But there was actually a lot that I really liked about the issue. Okay. What did you like about the issue? Uh, the artwork was gorgeous. It was. It was amazing. And usually I have some trouble with stuff from this era, just color-wise. It, it is difficult for me to read, but this was gorgeous. I liked thinking about some of the things that they presented in the issue. Okay. <laughs> what did you like about the issue? <laughs> I also liked the art. I think that Sal Buscema gets kind of a bum rap a lot of times. Uh, he's often overshadowed by his brother, John, who was a Conan artist for a long time. Um, but I think he did a really good job. And I actually really liked Amora the Enchantress. Uh, I thought she made a great villain. And there is a speech that is given by Cassiolina. Uh, who was kind of a throwaway character, but that I loved. And I actually, for the most part, really like the way Valkyrie is portrayed in this issue. I think she's pretty cool. I think that she's cool. I think that it is a very problematic, <laughs> like, origin story. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. Why don't you talk about what, what you think was problematic about it? Well, you know, I'm a lady. <laughs> I, I had noticed that, yes. And I find it really interesting that the way you create this badass character, badass woman character, like the first badass woman character as far as I know, that exists in this world, right? I think for the most part. I mean, there could be arguments made for, like, Black Widow, and, like, there there are some badass characters, but one that is specifically... In Marvel and more of a powerhouse. If she's not the first, she's definitely one of the more prominent. Yeah. I just, uh, like, the vehicle for this soul that was also stolen. Right. <laughs> Granted by another woman, but still stolen by an amoral lady. The, like, the soul was stolen and put into this body that was stolen, like, robbed of its agency. Oh, yeah. Five, ten, I don't know what her <laughs> life was like, really, but <laughs> a lot. It just seems a really weird way to come about like new let's talk a little bit about feminism <laughs> yeah yeah having the idea that it is specifically barbara norris that gets turned into the valkyrie yeah it, barbara norris is a character who has been robbed at, at this point so many times of her agency first by her mother when her mom forces her to join this cult then by the nameless one and she's kind of brainwashed and then the one instance that she has where she's just like, no, this is bullshit, and she sacrifices herself, is then taken away and kind of by her dating choices when she just completely submits to the nameless one. And then... I don't think it's dating <laughs> if somebody has you captured in an extra-dimensional vortex. Well, she doesn't <laughs> technically have her captured. I think they're both stuck there. Yeah, no, it's not the best meat cake. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it, it's but she has chosen him and she has a very strong mental bond with him, which Doctor Strange just wades in and again robs her of her agency and just severs the bond and snaps her mind, which is a bad move both as a magician and as a neurosurgeon. <laughs> I forgot about that. Like, 
Come on, dude. <laughs> Bad moves all around. It does like speak to deeper issues of agency, which I don't really know how to talk to, but um, it does speak to deeper issues of agency that if you don't have any choices, or like you're, like the only choice that she really made in her life was to sacrifice herself and save the world, uh-huh. rock on, chick. Yeah. And then suddenly every other instance after that is kind of just robbing her of agency. And if like you're in this void and the only choice is a bad choice, or yeah. like desperate loneliness and like complete lack of any sort of you know going insane or or choosing the nameless one i don't know i've had some bad relationships <laughs> <laughs> i would like to point out to the the listeners that we were not trapped in a dimension to see only two people and also that just tangentially i only have one head yeah i will say once the Valkyrie is the Valkyrie, if you take her as a separate character, I do enjoy the way that she is portrayed. No, she's a fucking badass. Like, um, I like her a lot. I just, I feel like the origin story is so confusing and so, it's really problematic. Just yeah. just, tr- just saying, okay, I stole this soul from someone else. Let me put this in this other person that doesn't have any agency. Yes. And together, finally, we get a woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. It actually kind of reminds me of Gargamel and Smurfette. Oh, the, uh, that classic Smurf. tale. But do you know that? <laughs> no. Okay, Smurfette was actually created as an evil trap for the rest of the Smurfs. There were initially no female Smurfs. And then Gargamel, like, crafted this female Smurf to fuck with the Smurfs. And then she ended up being cool. So it's really exactly like that. <laughs> we're getting a little bit behind on... T- oh, actually, though, I did want to also... Right, when, you were, when you're talking about her agency, too, there's that scene where Amora is about to turn her into the Valkyrie. And there's, like, not even a full panel, but half a panel where I'm just... Where the defenders, both Namor oh. and Doctor Strange, are like, wait a minute, she's in no per- condition to consent to that. And for half a second, you're like, yeah, good call, guys. And then they're like, so we'll speak for her and say no. It's like, no. Well, I mean, at the same time, well, we can, yeah. I don't really have anything to say that's productive in relation to that, but it is frustrating. And then when you get, to, can we skip to the end? Is that allowed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sorry, not to not to create a situation where I ask you permission to do something. No, I know. I, know. <laughs> I just want to make sure that I'm respectful of this format. You know, at the very end, where they talk about how I mean, oh, when they're total dicks and don't want her to join the team. No, it's not that they. Well, what team? No, well, it's yeah. not that they don't want her to join the team. It's when when Namor says, "But it said you hate men, and why should you aid us?" I do not hate men, Submariner. I merely know I'm as good as they are. I really like that. I that like that's it one too. of the points where I'm just like, yeah, I like how they're treating this character for a little bit. Like, not how the people around her are treating her, but to an extent how the writer is treating her there. That's true, but it's also like, okay, okay guys, do you know do you know what feminism is? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, it is there is a number of times when the way that the other defenders are treating her, not just in this issue, but in general from writing at this era where it's like oh you're creating weird straw men arguments but then when you actually put it in the context of times like no this actually is <laughs> shit that is happening like yeah. that a fair percentage of your readership is going to be like yeah i'm actually oh uh, this is a legitimate debate i am on the submariner's side with this <laughs> yeah it, it's yeah I mean, that's one thing that's really cool about reading stuff from this era, though. I remember reading an issue about drugs and being like, oh, yeah, this is actually, like, what was, what the debate or, like, the the conversation that people were having. It wasn't necessarily, you know, like, oh, here's all the stuff that we know. It was, like, kind of the, the discovering of what this is. Everything was emerging. So you have this cool representation of this emergent idea. Yeah. And uh, in... in in, like, a different format than the people who were thinking and talking about it initially. So right. it's like having a cool reflection of this thing that was coming into being at this time. Yeah. So. And the evolution of the Valkyrie character, this is not the first time that she showed up. She had showed up a few times before. The first time that she did, she was wholly just a disguise that the Enchantress was wearing. What a bitch. To <laughs> fuck with the other Avengers and turn the female Avengers against the male Avengers. And... Was, yeah, very much a just, like, 
see how fucked up feminism is. When was that? When did that come out? Do you know? Oh, like a couple of years before this. It was the uh, Avengers, like <laughs> number eighty-three. Um, yeah, not that really that long ago from this. Uh, I'm not sure the exact date, but it was uh, Roy Thomas was writing the Avengers at the time, and then her second appearance, she was a socialite that again Amora was using as a cat's paw against the Hulk, and then yeah, they changed the character some and they evolved her a little bit over time and she's got a pretty interesting backstory but it's also not just politically but logistically a fucking mess oh the whole story (laughs) yeah i mean like i get what you're saying but i also it there's like i could follow it i mean (laughs) yeah sometimes that's not true that's yeah. fair. It was, I mean, I, I got the narrative. It was just kind of thin. It, I felt like there was just a lot of stuff that was thrown in. Like, yeah. Hey, it was overly complicated. I felt like it could have been streamlined. That's probably true. Yeah. I did actually have a question. Um, and it's just something that we can have a discussion on if you're up for it. But sure. Character development in comic books from this era. Like, do they... so? Basically, is Doctor Strange always an asshole? <laughs> I'm not sure to what extent that is intentional and to what extent <laughs> it isn't. I, uh, kind of yes, and it really depends on the writer. And that's not just in this era, it's in any era. It's, there is not consistent character development in general. Um, yeah, is it, do you think it's because, like, partially they just want people to be able to pick up an, an, uh, an issue and be like, oh, I get it. Everyone has these strong character traits, and that's who that person is. Or do you think that it has something to do with the fact that their characters have to be so fixed because they're so powerful? Um, I don't. I think it's less that. I think it's more here's an easy handle to put on this character. Yeah, okay. And I really actually like Steve Englehart as a writer, and he does do some interesting, like even within this issue, having Doctor Strange get his confidence shaken. And that it it makes him a less effective magician, and it's I think I think there are some nods to character development in that regard, even in this issue, in terms of oh that's why he's such an arrogant prick. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be as effective. Mm. I don't think Engelhart necessarily sees him as an arrogant prick, but it's hard not to read it that way. Yeah, especially now. <laughs> yeah, well, and especially the way he treats the Hulk. Yeah, and it was really nice to see the Hulk yell at him. I love- the Hulk so much. The Hulk is pretty much the best. Yeah, pretty much. And I do not like Bruce Banner as much as I like the Hulk. Just saying. Nobody saying. likes Bruce Banner. <laughs> he yeah. seems kind of like a tool. I, he's okay with the Hulk being being trodden upon by nasty men with mustaches. Well, okay. In his defense, the Hulk has been a pretty serious impediment to his life. And he sees it as a, a definitely a burden. And I... Totally understand that. It's got to be rough for him, too. Okay. Trying to have some empathy. That being said, yes, of course, the Hulk is the best. (laughs) With the possible exception of Namor. I do love Namor. In this issue, he doesn't come through as great. And he, Namor is the greatest in the context that he is a total dick who I just kind of (laughs) love. But he also, I think, makes way more sense as a leader for the team than Doctor Strange does. And that was something that happened in this issue that I really enjoyed was Doctor Strange deferring to Namor, mm-hmm. which, granted, it was because his confidence was shaken and all that shit. But I think Namor makes a lot much, a, a lot more sense as a team leader. Well, didn't that happen at the end of the last issue? Was Doctor Strange was like, "Should I be the leader?" <laughs> yeah. Have I assumed too much when I became the leader of this team? He says it's a team. <laughs> Well, he does at that point, and then he changes his mind later. Really, the whole is it a team or isn't it a team is a total convenience, uh, depending on whether they want it to be for this issue. And I think the characters kind of deal with it that way, too. What did you think of the executioner? I don't know. He had a beard. (laughs) Okay. No, he didn't. (laughs) Clearly, he made a strong impression. He had a mustache. Oh, okay. I thought it was like a shitty goatee. That's how it read in my mind. Maybe it's a shitty goatee. (laughs) Now I'm going to have to look it up. I know that he reminded me, oh, maybe he does have a shitty goatee. Tough to tell with the shading on that one. Oh, so super shitty goatee. Look at that. Okay. He does have a shitty goatee. Oh, man. I know my facial (laughs) hair. I guess you do. Uh, To me, he looked a ton like... I know you didn't watch as much 80s pro wrestling as I did. I forgot. I was going to make a joke about how this show is going to have at least one wrestling reference. Go ahead. He looks like the Legion of Doom. Oh, yeah. Uh, He does. 
You're just going to have to take my word for it. I'll show you pictures later. But also, rereading the issue, I had to read it a couple of times, and I had to look up whether the executioner was deaf. Because he has a couple of different lines that totally read like, wait, is he, are they trying to, are they trying to say he's deaf? Did You didn't get that I at didn't, all. where, okay. where were they? When the, I think part of it is due to the fact that Engelhart hasn't really gotten down writing as Guardian dialogue yet. Oh, gotcha. For the most part. Which is kind of arbitrary that it's like, oh, they're ancient Norse gods, of course they speak Elizabethan English. <laughs> but you can't really blame those writers totally for that, because that's something that they still do in period pieces. If it's from long ago, then everybody has British accents. But, okay, he has two lines. One, he says, I can read the words on thy twitching visage, when a underling is bringing him bad news. And then later he says, mine eyes tell me that the mortal I did capture hath reverted to his brutish state, when he sees that the Hulk is the Hulk again. It was just awkwardly phrased enough, and both of them relate to him seeing things that he could also have heard, and him specifically saying, mine eyes tell me this. And I was like, wait, is he supposed to be deaf? I didn't think he was. I had to look it up. He wasn't. Well... I'll, let's go back to the text. When he's leaving with Amora, mm-hmm. he says, Ah, uh, perhaps thou speakest reason. So he hears her. He says, perhaps. He might just be <laughs> making a guess. <laughs> he might just be saying, I don't know what's happening, but maybe you're speaking reason. I don't know. Well, she is a woman, so it'd probably be far from... <laughs> oh, God. Speaking of which, the Black Knight is the biggest goddamn idiot in the world. Well... The Enchanter shows up at his house. He knows that she's a supervillain that can control men's minds if they kiss her. And she's like, hey, you should make out with me. And he's like, yeah, okay, I should probably make out with you. And he's like, he's even says, like, I knew she would probably control my mind, but what am I going to do? Not make out with her? Well, (laughs) there you go, back to talking about (laughs) depictions of femininity in 70s comic books. I don't think that's femininity. I just think that's Dane being an idiot. Like, well, I mean, is that, I mean, well, so you have this woman, seriously, like, this was really problematic for me to kind of figure out how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. You have, like, the main villain of right. the piece being a woman who controls men's minds right. after makeouts. Yeah. And then she also, like, makes a superwoman by just totally fucking two chicks over. Mm-hmm. And then she, like, kills the leader of her, of a world, who... Like, the leader of this realm, right? Yeah. What's her name? Cassiolina. Cassiolina. Sounds like a delicious pasta dish. (laughs) I was thinking more like a keyboard. Oh. (laughs) But like a diet keyboard. (laughs) Like a Cassioline. So, uh, but I I do think it's, uh, I do think she's just a really weird, a weird character. And all of the women in this story are problematic. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. But I mean, I don't like that a woman's power is to rob men of their agency through through love and right. pussy, right? <laughs> yeah. And also to rob women of their agency. Like, her only power is not, like, brute strength that is mind control. She also does blast... Oh, yeah, she has... Cassiolina with some magic bolts. And she blasts <laughs> Fragon, the, the stereotypical wizard who we've never seen before or oh, again. Oh, he was so good. I loved him. <laughs> you love Fragon? He was, I mean, he's in this realm, you know. <laughs> I do, I mean, it is kind of cool if you think about it, and I'm. this is just an idea I'm having right now, so you can edit this part out if you need to. Okay. <laughs> um, but, like, it's cool to see the Enchantress in, in juxtaposition with the Valkyrie, because Valkyrie doesn't have magic powers. Like, she can't kiss someone and, and transmute them, or, you know, she she has to use her, her strength. Right. To do everything, including to tame the wild horse in the in the end. Which, that part was rad. Yeah. That was one of the things about the Valkyrie that I really liked. And I also thought it was a weird throwaway line that was just like, I don't want to get all chauvinist, but I do have a way with horses. Yeah, what's the chauvinist thing? How I they... think... I think he was mixing up chauvinist with, like, stereotypical, like, just the idea that women and horses have affini- an affinity. I It didn't really make sense to me. Either. I don't think he knows what chauvinist means. No, I think that is very <laughs> much the case. But do I know what sh- what does chauvinist mean? Do you know? Like, what the actual definition is? I think everyone pretty much knows that it's named after Nicolas Chauvin, <laughs> a French soldier who was uh, injured in... A Napoleonic Wars, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much common knowledge. I think I read that on a 
Denny's placemat one time. Oh, yeah. Cereal box for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that chauvinism really just means jingoism, but has been subverted to mean... To mean sexism, basically. For either sex. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, really, horse affinity wouldn't apply. No. Um, No. But I do like that she she broke a horse and was... I mean, not broke, like, the horse is fine. That's a term... Breaking a horse yeah, I in, know. like breaking shoes in, but right. with an animal. Right. That was one thing I really liked about her. I also kind of like the idea that she, her kryptonite sort of thing is that she can't injure another woman. Like, I think that kind of makes sense with her character. That, and it's not out of like a misplaced it's not chivalry. Sh- or chauvinism. Or chauvinism. Because <laughs> Nicolas Chauvin. <laughs> had no problem with <laughs> punching other Frenchmen. But that it's just like, no, I don't want to... I, I believe in uplifting other women, and I, I won't injure them. And if you put that in the context of a superhero who is supposed to, I think at this point, kind of represent feminism... Yeah. I like it. I, th- I think it kind of works. And as problematic as her origin certainly is, and her portrayal sometimes is... I really like the fact that she is one of the members of the Defenders and that you have, like, this stand-in for feminism be a prominent member of a team superhero book. No, I think that's Rick and... Rick and Rad. Rick and Rad. <laughs> I think that's Rick and Rad, too. Frick and... Uh, yeah. Frick and Rad? I did, yeah. yes. Um, no, I do... I think that's really... I think if I if I didn't know... If I didn't read this issue and like she was i saw her in some other issues i'd be like oh cool chick look at that breastplate yeah well <laughs> honestly that's going to depend on which issue you see her in fair enough but yeah yeah i like i like her as a character i think it's really cool that she is becoming a member of this quote unquote team i do kind of get frustrated with the other members of the the defenders yeah in in so far as they're like we're the three most powerful people in the world what can you do for us except save our bacon this time which you just which did. you just did you just did <sighs> yeah i did like that they said people and not men that's true yep i hadn't even noticed that well it's because you're a dude yeah <laughs> seriously if any of you have the opportunity to be born a white dude in the united states fucking leap at it <laughs> Five out of five stars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to touch on in the issue before we move into the minutiae? Yeah, I think we got everything. Just basically, why are the dudes still dicks at the end? Come on, guys. We can, uh, we can all do better. <laughs> yeah, I think it's to set them up for a larger story arc where they are, to an extent, providing straw man arguments against feminism. So I think it's done in service of something better. But yeah, it is disheartening. Eh, it's the 70s. Also, I do think it's kind of funny that the way that uh, the Enchantress escaped from her captivity the second time is because Zeus is old and sleepy. <laughs> and why the hell did they turn her over to Zeus? Because uh, he was the god and he could handle another god and they were done Even though she's a different face. kind of god you from know, a different pantheon. They just, they, she, they were done looking at her face. They're like, ah! <laughs> we're tired. Okay, Odin fucked up, let you escape. Uh, next time, we'll give you to Zeus. When you inevitably escape from that, I don't know, fucking Osiris? Ooh, that would be kind of interesting. And then there'd be, like, doesn't Doctor Strange do some Egyptian stuff eventually? Uh, he kind (laughs) of... He culturally appropriates from everybody. (laughs) He'll get around to Egypt. Oh, good. (laughs) Well, isn't it in the video game that we play... Was uh, there an Egyptian or was that a different... That might have been Moon Knight. Oh, right, right. Anyway, <laughs> on to the minutiae. I'm going to insert the lovely song that Rick Hansen wrote for us and sent in. One, two, three. We got minutiae. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutiae. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutiae. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thank you. So, what was your favorite sound effect? Chris! <laughs> Chris is a pretty good one. I had that on my list. It, uh, Chris is the noise it makes when the executioner zaps somebody with his magic axe. Pretty good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pretty good. My favorite was Chunk. Chunk. Which is the noise that it makes when the Valkyrie uses her giant spear to break a door. I think that's fair. You know, Chunk. <laughs> like that noise makes. Like Thunk, but also Chink. 
So, junk. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. It's clearly a portmanteau. <laughs> um, an onomatopoeic portmanteau. <laughs> You're just trying to use big words now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you went with uh, Kriz. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Kraz, actually. No, it's it's difficult to tell. There's an I, I think. Right. I, initially, I thought it was Krill. Ooh, Krill would be a really good sound effect. Maybe Namor could make that one. Mm. No, because he's from the sea. Because he's from the ocean. Chris. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, you're right. Yeah, one time. One time. One time, the executioner's hands blasts make the noise Chris. The other time they make it Kraz. Sadly, nobody says Krill. Oh, maybe in the this future. This time. You could, like, make Either it way, up. that's some tight Foley work, guys. <laughs> Chris, Kraz, chunk. All right. So, sartorially speaking, are there any fashion choices you want to talk about? I actually want you to go first for this one. Really? Yes. Okay. Well, I had a couple I wanted to touch on. One was Fragon. Oh. Classic wizard. Down to the purple moons. <laughs> okay, the moons weren't purple. <laughs> Sorry. The, the robes are purple. They have yellow stars and moons on it. Y- you need to remember that because I have a birthday coming up. <laughs> <laughs> and the wizard robes need to have yellow stars and moons on them or else I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, it, it is just like... He's such a generic wizard character and just down to central casting, just like big pointy purple hat with stars and moons on and it. And a long white beard. And a long white beard. And the combination of Salbusema draws him having this absolutely crazed, evil looking face. And the traditional wizard garb is so fucking doofy looking that I totally love it. There is one other thing I want to talk about. Uh, do you want to bring yours up first and we'll bracket it? Well, obviously, the Valkyrie's boobs are the best part. <laughs> I don't think boobs are a fashion choice. <laughs> I think that the way they're highlighted in this episode is a fashion choice. So her choice. chest plate. Her perhaps. chest plate. It just looks like Madonna cones. <laughs> oh, it kind of does look like Madonna cones. I know. That's a good choice. Um, but also, uh, the Enchantress's tights. Those are really cool. They, they're, they're good outfits. Mm-hmm. What, what, what about the Enchantress's tights? They've got like... They've just got, like... Concentric circles on them or something. It makes me feel like she's going to do some magic. I really understood... I understood that fact. Either she's going to do some magic or she's going to make some Venn diagrams. No, they don't quite interlock. Yeah, no. You're right. Mm -hmm. That's, uh... That's nice. Yeah. Pretty cool, right? Maybe... I mean, I guess they could be Venn diagrams of things that have nothing in common. The other thing that I wanted to comment on was the Executioner's outfit. You mean his shitty mustache? I don't mean his shitty mustache. (laughs) I think it's a fine mustache. Uh, because it's a goatee. <laughs> okay, it has a mustache as a component. How did you not catch that? <laughs> because I was distracted by the fact that he is wearing a blacksmith's apron over a jumper. <laughs> and that is how the ultimate badass presents himself. He is absolutely wearing a, like, a shirt skirt combo with a blacksmith apron over it and i kind of love it and i think it's got a picture of an anvil on the front and i'm not sure why it looks kind of like a crusader's cross okay it does in that picture but still oh maybe it looks like a hammer like a thor hammer are you friends with thor uh not so much friends uh they don't necessarily get along the best oh okay but see we see it there better i don't know what is it's maybe some kind of a hammer it's a Honestly, weird Honestly, it looks kind of like a cross to me. Hmm. That would be really weird because, you know, he's part of the Norse pantheon. You know, a lot of weird choices were made in this comic. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> All right. So, moving along. What do you want to what do you want to do next? Uh, let's do uh so we did sartorial speaking. Best words. Okay. Yeah. What are what are your best words? What have, what do you do think were the best words in this issue? I have issue? two. Okay. The one that made me giggle. Okay, what was, was the one that made you giggle? Was when the Black Knight said, you must be dreaming, bird. <laughs> I was reading the Black Knight's dialogue as Bert from Mary Poppins. <laughs> oh, no. Because he's British, and I think that was, at the time, that's what British people sound like, right? So, yeah, he had another line that I really liked. I didn't have it as the best words, but I did want to talk about it a little bit. When he is discussing his previous encounters with 
the Enchantress. A wrath letter to many schemes. After that, but without a former ally, they all came out a cropper. I didn't read that like that at all. That's really disturbing. A wrath letter to many <laughs> schemes. After that, but without a former ally, they all came a cropper. Yeah. Oh, it's a jolly holiday with you, Enchantress. <laughs> Amora. Amora. <laughs> Good lord. Um, the actual best dialogue was, though, I do not hate men. I merely know that I am as good as they are. I loved that, too. I had that down as some of my best dialogue. But I will say my absolute favorite dialogue in it is from Cassiolina, who is kind of a throwaway character, but gives a dope villain speech. Will you read the dope villain speech? Absolutely. <laughs> Ne'er hath Cassiolina the queen deigned to soil her royal hands on rabble in pitched conflict. But statecraft be the art of making the necessary rewarding. Prepare to die, peasants. Oh, she does not like peasants. No. <laughs> but I, like, statecraft be the art of making the necessary rewarding? That's a great phrase. That's Probably lifted from Machiavelli. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> no, I don't know. No, that was a really good... I had not noticed how amazingly detailed that was. No, but that does sound like that could be like a Bartlett's familiar quotation. No, seriously, maybe it um, was. Maybe. Maybe it's from Shakespeare. Probably it's from Shakespeare. Is it an iambic pentameter? Do you want to count it out with me? <laughs> I think it's a amphibrachic quadrameter. <laughs> so... What was your favorite panel? I really loved the close-ups of the Valkyrie. I just thought they were so beautiful and simple and just, like, super gorgeous art. So when she either declares victory okay. or when she says, I'll be a member of the Defenders, I know. I know the one you're talking about. It's, it's at the end mm -hmm. when it's just a close-up of her face. Yeah, so that one's really cool. Yeah, really that beautiful. is really cool. It's really nicely drawn. It's just so simple, but like just it really pops because everything there's so much busyness throughout the rest of the story. So just having these like close ups of her face, I think, is a really valuable. My favorite is the one on page 15 when she first shows up yeah. and it's the Valkyrie is reborn and she just looks really powerful. And it's especially in juxtaposition to the way that Barbara is, looked yeah. is drawn before where it's clear it's it's on opposite pages, and you see that the face is pretty much the same, but the expression and the manner and the bearing are so different. Yeah. I really liked that. And then she says, one side, men, and let your liberator at that cell door. Pretty good stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that just leaves us with who is the best defender and who is the worst offender. Let's start with worst offender. Ooh. Who is the worst offender in this issue? The Black Knights. Agreed. I wasn't sure if you were going to recognize that he does count as a defender, seeing as it is a loose collective rather than a team. Yeah. He done fucks up so bad. And he has a horrible accent. <laughs> he does have a horrible accent that I brilliantly exactly was able to duplicate. But yeah. Oh man, he just he does so bad. From Amora showing up at his house and being like, oh, this is going to mind wipe me, but sure, makeouts are fun. To, yeah, everything. He, he, he does a terrible job. Yes, Black Knight is completely the worst offender. Contrary to that, who was the best defender? Okay, so obviously the answer is Valkyrie. Obviously. But... Uh but I love the Hulk, and I love that he yelled at everybody. I do. I'm <laughs> delighted whenever he calls Doctor Strange stupid magician. Uh, because I think it really does hurt Doctor Strange's feelings. <laughs> See, you're assuming Doctor Strange has feelings. He does. I think he is probably very thin-skinned. This being said, and this comes out every time, I don't have a good reason for it, but I do still like Doctor Strange as a character. Uh, and I think... Part of that is I love the Doctor Strange comic book that was coming out in the 70s. So, I don't know. but I think he's, like, he's really cool. His powers are the most interesting to me to learn about. Uh-huh. Um, because it is kind of like this weird combo of science and magic, uh, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that he speaks funny, which is cool. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he says funny things. Says, That's cool. He says funny things. He also, I mean, like, with a lot of people who are kind of arrogant in, in portrayals, like, there's a vulnerabil- vulnerability that's obvious. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that's part of what makes you like him, even if he's being a dick all the time. Yeah, which, I'm sorry, but if the Black Knight wasn't in this issue, then Doctor Strange, Strange is the exactly. worst offender. <laughs> but yeah, obviously you're right. Valkyrie is the best. I absolutely love the I don't hate men. I just know that I'm as good as they are. And that she doesn't even say I think that I'm as good as they are. Mm-hmm. I know it. And she does know that. I also like what she's saying on the cover, which is, your foes attack and you puny males are too weak to stand against them, but I can. Which is more her sounding like a stereotypical straw feminist, but I still do kind of like it, and I like the use of the word puny, especially uh, in regards to the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Because that's his thing. He calls people puny, but then he gets called puny by a w- 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 woman? <laughs> Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Nope, I think that'll do her. I want to read the next one, actually. You can. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. Uh, I appreciate it very much, and we will hopefully have you back as a guest. Oh. I think you did a terrific job. Oh, thank Um, you. Thank you. It was fun. Glad to hear it. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can reach us on Facebook. You can find us on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you use. And, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We will be back next week with Corey and a new episode of the New Teen Titans. Yeah, we'll be starting a new run. We just got the Trigon blow off, and now we're going to see what the Titans are up to next. And then in two weeks, we will be back and see how the Defenders deal with having Valkyrie as a new member, which she totally is. Yeah, they can suck a lemon. Yeah. You can all suck a... No. (laughs) Not Um, our friends. No, not our podcast friends. You guys can... Suck a chocolate orange. Mm. Delicious. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you later. Bye. And they know it. I had a whole email exchange yesterday <laughs> in which I got to use the phrase amphibrachic quadrameter. What the fuck is that? It's a kind of quadrameter. What's a quadrameter? Uh, it's a meter for poetry. What's embryotic? <laughs> amphibrachic. A- amphibrachic. Does it have to do with brackets? Do you like put brackets in your poetry? <laughs> He's making a face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's just edit that out. <laughs> 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 All right, moving on.